I know it's hard because you're actually having fun together, which is part of... <laughs> I love it. Okay. That magic sound. It's ingrained in us, isn't it? Here, here, here's part of the point. Okay, so you sit down. A lot of you are sitting with people that you already know. A lot of you are sitting with people that you kind of know. A lot of people are sitting with people that they don't know at all. So you sit down, and you have a moment, and you start talking with each other, and this thing happens, doesn't it? When you start talking with somebody else, you just start to connect with them. I am of the opinion that if you hear someone's story, you cannot help but fall in love with them, even if it's a really bad story. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, that happens, right? But you even get a really, really difficult story when you really hear someone's story. I mean, not just the stuff they did, but you hear the whole of it. There's just something in us. It's literally built in us that it takes us to this place that we just start to go out to them. We start to connect with them. We start to make this wow thing. That's where we're going today. In fact, I want to say something. You heard what happened when, we start, when I said, please talk to each other. You know, it started out, actually, this is a great room because this is a great church. And so it started out pretty loud. If it was really, a, truly a bunch of people that didn't know each other, it would have started off pretty soft, right? And then it would have gotten a little louder, and then a little louder, and then a little louder. And then there would have been laughter. And then there would have been, and pretty soon, if we didn't let this go, it had just been shouting match in here, right? As everybody was talking and laughing and having fun. I want, to tell, I want to say something here. This may be a surprise. You may call me a heretic for saying it, but this is a good day for that, okay? <laughs> I, I'm really serious about this. I want you to think about something. I think the sound, that sound of people connecting is more precious in God's ear than worship. Now, wait a minute. That can't be true. That's blasphemy, Kurt, right? I mean, this worship was so cool, and it's going into God's presence, and that, after all, is the thing that's the most important. And clearly, there's going to be a day when we, get to sit, when we get to stand before the Lord, all of us as one, singing a new song unto the Lord, and that worship moment is going to be glorious in ways we can't even begin to comprehend. It is going to be so wonderful. But do think about this. On the morning that Jesus rose again, he came to be with his disciples, assembled them, taught them a new song, and they sang to him a worship song, right? Because he'd risen again. No, he didn't do that, did he? What he did instead was is he breathed on them and he said, the same God that breathed on a lump of clay and made him a living being, having the nature of God, the, the spiritual nature inside of them, the same ones, he breathed on them and he gave them a new nature, the one that was from God. The other one had fallen, this one was here. And what God was doing was is he was connecting us back to him. The first thing that he did was he brought us back to him. Worship is phenomenal. And it is, the word here for the day, penultimate. What's it mean? It means it's really important. <laughs> it's just not the absolute most important. It's the second most important thing. It, worship is wonderful. Nothing dissing worship at all. It's just that I think when God hears people connecting, becoming one with one another, I think that's even a more precious sound. Now, we're going on a little Easter egg hunt today. We're going to find, I think, a few things like this that are surprising, and we're going to open up the egg, and we're going to find, ooh, we're going to find sweet things as we look at them. So this is where we're headed today. Some of them are just going to be sweet things. 
some of them way deeper. So this is where we are headed. Um, I'm going to ask my brother Dave, because I'm going to embarrass him horribly here in a little bit. So this is the nice thing I'm doing to him. And this isn't nice at all, is it? We want somebody to pray for the sermon. So Dave, would you just pray for the sermon? Lift up all the churches in the area for Easter too, would you? Wow, what an honor. Just so thankful to be able to to uh, gather here together, Lord. Man, for everybody that blew it in this last week, and I'd count myself among them, thank you so much, Lord. So sorry to say, so happy to say, I really needed the cross. And thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did. Just lift up all the churches in this community. I just ask that you'd fill them this morning. Amen. Just fill them and get the, the good news out there, Lord. Amen. Thank you for all you did. Thank you for this morning, and pray that you'd anoint Kurt now. And I thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, now we get to start something really cool, okay? This is Josh Foreman. This is just, you know, uh, maybe I'm not on yet. Here, hold on just a sec. I, I, I do want to be able to control it. So, uh, all right. Okay, now what you're going to see here is, is this is going to render to a painting that is, it's just gorgeous. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. You see the technique that he used where it kind of splotches in and it just becomes cooler and cooler. I do know that there's people in here that are going to be saying, that was really distracting. Can I just tell you, the world is ADHD multitasking. Get over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, everybody's doing more than one thing at once anymore. So hopefully we can handle this cool picture. We slowed it down pretty slow so that you could watch it happen and still actually pay attention to me. I know at some point in time something really cool is going to come up and everybody's going to be there, not here, but I'll say it again so you can catch up, all right? I want us to, what's going to ultimately come up here is going to be a cross. Now, I did not know the Lord when I was younger. It wasn't until I was 19 that, that he found me in striking way. But the bottom line is, is ultimately we're going to get our cross on here. And when we think about the cross, I spent so much time not knowing the Lord that the cross, what? It has become absolutely beautiful to me. This cross, a guy dying in a bloody, brutal way, has become beautiful to me. But I'm not unaware of how ridiculous that sounded before I became a Christian. <laughs> I didn't get it. And I totally get somebody who might be sitting here who would be saying, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't even remember hearing about the cross, frankly, until I actually accepted Jesus. And it was after that that I learned all this stuff. But I'm sure I probably heard it before. And the reason I don't remember hearing it is because it was just blah, blah, blah. It just made no sense. And not only did it not make sense, if I'd have taken the time to think about it, I would have probably said something like this. That's pretty barbaric. I mean, that's kind of horrible. How can you, Kurt, then turn around after you've come to know him and start looking at that cross and say, yeah, it's beautiful. How can you do that? Well, because there's a story in that image, isn't there? That story that I fall in love with. The story is simple. It goes like this. God starts, everybody's looking at that. Nobody's paying attention to me. It's fine. I'm, you know, I mean, the sound will go in. Hopefully, it'll make some difference. And I love it. I, this is the same way I was. The whole time we were doing it, God, that's cool, Josh. <laughs> Here's the thing. The story starts off easy. 
God, who is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. God is three that are absolutely in love with each other to the point that they are indivisibly one. Absolutely, eternally one. And he loves that so much that he simply made more. And he wanted them to come to be one with him. But here's what his problem was, really simple. If the creator stayed known to the created, there would always be some compulsion in whatever our response was back to him. If we could look in God's face, knowing that he created us, knowing that he's there, there would always be this element of we worship him because it's just stupid not to. Because he made you. How dumb are you? There would be this compulsory element. You could come to great depth of love for him. But there would always be this compulsory level. So God did something. He made us with absolute free will. So free that when we chose to walk away from him, we could walk so completely away from him that we would never even know that he was there, that we could deny his existence completely. Why? Well, watch the difference between my love and his love. See, if I made everything, and I made this creatures, and, and I made this great creation, and they were enjoying the creation I made, and they were walking away from me, but they got to a point to where they really were kind of like really getting far away from me, and there was really like, uh oh, what's going to happen? And there was, and I would, wouldn't, at some point in time, wouldn't you step back in, and you know, like you do with your kids, right? Wake up! I was trying to give you a chance to make a mistake. That's too many mistakes. Wake up! You know, slap you into place, right? How many people have a relationship with God? Don't raise your hands. But how many people have a relationship with God that in some level is based in something like that? When you step out of line, God's going to slap your face. I mean, just think about it for a second. But more deeply, just go to where God is. See, God is love. What he does is, the Bible says he has great patience. Here's what he does. He allows us to make every choice over and over and over again. He even allows us, this is how much he loves us, he even allows us to choose to never come to know him. And the reason why is because God is love. When we think about our love with God, we don't think about it in romantic terms. But God gave us an illustration in creation of what our love with him was to be like, and it is in romantic terms. When I fell in love with Julie, where are you? There you are. When I fell in love with Julie, my world changed. The things that I cared about, I didn't care about anymore. The things that I did care about had something to do with her, <laughs> pursuing her. Everything in my life became about her. She became, I became, everything about me was oriented to her. I was making every choice. I could have made other choices. I could have done other things, but it was all her, baby. I mean, I, I went horseback riding with her, and I took her on picnics, and I took her on trips, and I did everything I could to woo this woman because I love this woman. To this day, there are moments when I think about Julie and I think about the fullness of the love that we have, and it takes my breath away. She's more important to me than, the, than breath. You cannot have that kind of love if there's any compulsion in it. You just can't get to that place. You just can't get to the place to where you're just utterly, completely, completely choosing to give everything of yourself over. But this is what God is asking for. This is what God is not asking for. This is what God is offering. 
This is what he's saying. This is what I really want. That relationship that you have with me that has something to do with a greater and a lesser, can I just say, that's pretty important to remember sometimes. But it's penultimate. The ultimate? In love. Falling in love. There's no hardness to it. It's the get-to of it. Again, how many people in here your relationship is something less than the ultimate? It's penultimate. It's important. God wants us to do the right things. But when we don't ground things in the ultimate things, the things that we do in the penultimate things end up perverting and corrupting, and all of a sudden we've got this relationship with God that's just, just off by a degree or two, and then 10 degrees, and then pretty soon we're in this weird place with God where it's about rules and regulations. There are rules and regulations. But you see what God is doing in love? Now, I'd love to open up an egg for that because I think that that was pretty profound. But can I say something? I don't know if I've burned it yet. I want to work a little harder. I, I, I want to I go to another place. Why the bloody guy on the cross? Well, let me do something right now. I want to take the cross and separate it from the bloody part, the beaten part. They are totally connected. But I think it's really important for us to understand something in order to understand the fullness of both because I think we kind of meld them together. So we're going to take the cross part first. What's the cross part about? It's really simple. It's about dying. Okay? It's about, in Christianese, here's what it's about. I chose to separate myself from God, who is life, and when you separate from yourself from life, what are you? Dead. So I'm dead. So a death has to happen in order for me to be alive again. Now that's Christianese. It's not going to make any sense to you if you don't know God. Let me, let me go non-Christianese with you on this. Okay? Here's the truth. If you don't know God, you don't get it. You don't get why God does this. Look, if I was not with God and then one day I decide I should be with God, why can't I just turn around and be with God? I mean, he loves me. Why can't I just be back with him? I mean, right? Why all the cross stuff? Why the death stuff? Why all this language? This stuff doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going to come back to God in the way that makes sense to me, which is exactly the problem, right? If what got us into trouble was doing what made sense to us, and we think that we then have the sense to get back to him the way that we understand it, it's just more the same. Here's the truth about accepting Jesus Christ, the truth about accepting him. There's stuff that you are not going to know until he breathes on you. And when he breathes on you, your eyes are going to open, as the famous hymn says, I was blinded, and now I see. And when you see, you look at the cross, and you look at what God did, and you look at the fact that somebody did have to die, and you go, that makes perfect sense. But before you've done that, it does not. So there's this wonderful moment of coming to Christ, of coming to God, that is critical. It's a choice. It's a free will. There's stuff that you seem to say that I don't get. So, I guess I need to come on your terms. If I'm actually going to get back to you, 
I can try as much as I want on my own. And it never quite seems to work. I never get to this place that we're talking about of absolute fallen love. Take the breath away. You have to make a choice. Faith. You have to trust that he apparently knows something that you don't. That we don't. And if we'll make that choice, we'll see it. Billions of people have gone before and said, I made that choice. I see it. Wow. But let me just say, from that vantage point, the mistake that we make all the time is we assume that they get it too. Oh, Jesus died for you. And, and the person that doesn't know the Lord says, yuck. <laughs> that don't work for me. That doesn't make any sense to me. Let me take it even further with you because this is to the bloody part now, okay? There's a death that has to happen and we don't get it until we know him and when we know him, we get it. But the bloody part, why the bloody part? See, we put the two together and we make them one thing and here's what happens. Why, why this image? We just talked about how loving God was. Does that, does, do you, I got the death part. Even if I don't get it, I can still, I can understand philosophically the death part, but tell me where there's a God of love in that image. That doesn't look loving. God hates sin. See, that's what we say as Christians. God hates sin. He has a wrath against sin. Can I just say something? Actually, if you really press that a bit, you're going to find that that comes up pretty short of the truth. It's not even penultimate. God does hate sin. But think about it. If God hates sin, why is he beating you up for doing it? Why doesn't he beat up who does it? Actually, if you look in the Bible, what you see God's wrath being poured out on is that which is causing us to sin. I'm not saying there's never a time that there isn't another thing that goes on too. Come to the Revelation series, you can hear all about that. But, but what we're going after right now is we're going after something much more deep, much more incredible, a, a sweet surprise. And the sweet surprise goes something like this. I could say, looking at that image, oh, I get it, I can explain this to you in a good way. Here's what it is. That's what sin does to me. See, I don't see it because I don't get it. I don't get how when I go my own way, I'm actually ripping things away from what my life could have been, should have been, what God had for me. I don't get how I'm ripping myself apart. I don't get how I'm bloodying myself when I make these choices. And we could say that that's what that picture represents. And may I say, I think very much that is part of what that picture represents. But I still don't think it gets to the deeper truth. The place that, well... God is trying to picture in this picture what our choice is to walk away from him due to him. This is God, that's Jesus, and he has been ripped apart, and he's trying to tell us, I know you don't get it, I know you don't see it, I know you don't understand it, but when you make these choices to walk away from me, to go your own way, you don't understand, it rips something from me. There's this, there's this old theological thought which ought to be buried, and it's, it's called God is immutable. Here's what it means. God knows everything, so everything that happens doesn't move him, 
doesn't affect him emotionally. It's just, you know, he knew it all, so of course it wouldn't affect him emotionally, right? I mean, he orchestrated it all. He ordained it all. He's in control of everything in such a way as that, you know, everything is, was his plan, so how could he be moved by it? This is why that ought to die, because there's not one thing in creation nor scripture nor Jesus' incarnation or anything you can look at that ever says anything other than that God feels everything that we feel. His incarnation, meaning his coming in flesh and walking amongst us, is all about the fact of God coming to know exactly what we feel. And it's not coming to know because he already knew. It's that he came to show us that he knows. He walked among us as us, truly in the flesh, in order to experience what we were experiencing. He didn't need to do that. He needed us to see that he was doing that. So that he would know, so that we would know that he had experienced everything that we experienced. Our prayers do not end at the ceiling. God feels them. So much does he feel them that when Jesus was in the flesh, walking on the earth, when he came up and he saw somebody that was hurting, saw somebody that was crying out, there was this word that gets used over and over in the Greek, and, it, and it's translated filled with compassion, and the, and the, the Greek word is splagnitsomai, and what it has to do with is he's going, he's going he sees somebody hurting, and he goes, and his guts turn with the same pain that the person is feeling. A couple of weeks ago, we had a great speaker here, Dr. Robbie, and he taught us something called mirror neurons, and here's what a mirror neuron is. They're, they're mapping a chimpanzee's brain because they're trying to show what happens when a chimpanzee reaches out the hand, what part of the brains go off, what part of the brain has to fire to reach out the hand, to grab the banana, to bring it back, what parts of the brain are doing what? So they're mapping the brain, right? So they get the chimpanzee's brain. I think it was a chimp. I can't remember, but I think it was a chimp. They map fully the chimpanzee's brain as to what happens when he reaches out, grabs a banana. Then what happens is the researcher's done mapping the brain. He's hungry. He reaches out to grab a banana. The monitor lights up as if the chimp was reaching out to eat the banana. From that, we discovered something called mirror neurons. And what it means is, is when somebody else is doing something, the same part of our brain is firing. When somebody is hurting, the same part of our brain is hurting, which is why we feel compassion for them. Compassion with passion. The same passion. We feel the same thing that they're feeling. Do you see it? A mirror neuron is this thing. Now, God left evidences all over his creation so that we could come to know him. That's what the word says. We can know him fully, in fact. And so his creation is telling us, God is telling us the way that he made not just, not just us, but animals too, to be able to mirror neuron. He's trying to say something. I feel. <laughs> and I don't just feel sorry for I feel the same thing as. Do you see it? I feel. I got it. Back to this image. Here's what I think God is trying to say. I demonstrated through, through creation. I demonstrated through the incarnation. I demonstrated over and over in every way. I have demonstrated that I feel what you feel. Here's the question I think God is asking each one of us right now. Do you feel what I'm feeling? Do you look on that image and do you see the incredible pain that our choices have inflicted upon him? The guards are the one who beat him. We're just the guards. 
we're the ones that have done this to him. Not to create guilt in us, to get us to understand something. You don't get what you're doing. I get that you don't get it. It's a thing of mercy and grace that God doesn't show us the fullness of our actions. Dave's prayer started off with, I needed God's cross this week. If, if David experienced the fullness of everything that that was, it would have overwhelmed him. His life would be so short. <laughs> Mine would just be shorter than his because I'm worse than he is. It's just overwhelming instantly, right? It would just take us out of play. It's a thing of grace that we don't understand the fullness of it, but it isn't as if God hasn't been trying to communicate it. He's saying it over and over and over. And so I think as Christians... That's how we explain that. So that people know whatever pain that you're in, God gets it because as John Stott said so famously, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? He's not immutable. He's in love. And there's parts about love that hurt more than anything ever could. And he's so in love with you that when stuff happens that's hurting you, it hurts him. It's not just mirror neurons, it's a mirror life. I think I get an Easter egg for that, don't I? Isn't that kind of cool? Is that worth it? I have to suck on this one too long, so I'll, I'll save this one up here, okay? Let's, let's go to another image here. I, I want us to get a hold of something. What's going to happen now is there's a cross there, and what's going to happen is, is some people are going to start showing up at the cross. And, and I want us to just process something here and just, just ponder something. See, what God is doing is, is that he's bringing people to himself. What is it that we celebrate on this Easter day? Is it the cross? Not really. That's what we celebrate a Good Friday, Right? Oh, it's the empty tomb. Well, let's be technical. It's not really the empty tomb. It's the risen Lord, <laughs> right? You know, there could be an empty tomb, but not a risen Lord, and that'd be a bummer, okay? <laughs> so what we celebrate is a risen Lord, that God is risen. He's, you know, he is risen. There you go, okay? So what we celebrate is that. But, but when we think about what that means to us, what do we think it means? Doesn't it mean something like this to us? He died for my sins and rose again so that I'm free of them. Isn't that what it means? It does mean that. Deeply it means that. It's very important for us to remember that Jesus' death and resurrection, and one of the main things we celebrate on Easter is, is that he took what was due me upon himself. Real quickly, I want to do this, just so that we get what this taking upon himself means. Here's the way that it's explained sometimes to people that don't, you know, as a way of trying to understand what Jesus did. Here, we tell the story. We say, there's this judge, and he's this hardcore judge, and, and, you know, he's so hardcore, he's just hardcore about all the rules and everything else, and, and he, everybody that does anything, even like a speeding thing, he never gives anything, anybody with the maximum on speeding tickets. So one day, his own son gets caught speeding and is before this judge. And, and you know, even, this, even the most cynical people are thinking, you know, you know, I know he's going to give him the maximum sentence, but man, I hope the guy's got a heart somewhere. And so, okay, you know what I mean? So they, they go through the trial, and sure enough, the judge comes down, and he, bang, guilty, maximum fine. And even the cynical people are going, this is a bummer. And then the judge takes off his robe, steps off the bench, goes to the clerk, and pays the fine. 
Now, we say that that's a good image of what God did for us in substituting for us. I want to say that's a terrible story. And here's why. Because here's how you had to have to tell that story for it to be a good story. There was this really wise, incredibly generous and loving and gracious man who founded a town and set up rules and set up laws and set up things in a way that would cause people, even when they messed up, to still be able to get along with one another, to still have some semblance of a good life and to be able to do that. And because of that, some people really understood the purpose of those things that God did or this man did and this gracious, loving man. And so they loved him with all of their hearts and other people didn't. But still the thing worked to where it was working in the community as a whole. And one day this guy that everybody loved, or at least that portion loved so much, he's walking home and a drunk teenager comes and plows him down with a car. Now the judge miraculously doesn't die and he comes back to the bench after months and months of painful rehabilitation on the front pages, everything else. He comes back to court and his first case is the drunk teenager. And this judge does what only this judge can do. He stays on the bench, but he splits himself. He goes down, and he goes to where the defendant's chair is, where that drunk teenager is, and he moves that drunk teenager into the gallery, and he sits as the defendant for the trial and allows the maximum penalty to be sent to be given to himself. Now, that's more the story of the substitutionary thing that God does. So we think about his death and resurrection as being about forgiving our sin. But once again, let me say, not really. That's not really what Easter is about. That's the penultimate thing. It's very important. It's in there. But what's the ultimate thing? What was God doing at Easter? Let me put it this way. We celebrate today that Jesus rose again. Big surprise. He was dead. He's alive. Surprise. We celebrate that. We go down to the lake. John Batterman goes down and preaches a great sermon. And a bunch of people go down and we watch the sun come up and the eagle catches the fish at the end of it. And it's so cool. It's wonderful. Okay? But the bottom line is we're celebrating that he rose again because we're still thankful that he rose again. <laughs> Can I tell you what's God thankful for? He's not thankful that he rose again. He knew he was going to rise again. What's he thankful for when Jesus rises again? What's he thankful for? Yeah. Us. There's been a way now made. Do we understand what that way is until we found him? No, we don't. But there is a way that is made now for us to come back to him. Look at the nature of the coming back to him that takes place. Watch this. The first thing that he calls us his children. Find me another religion on the face of the earth that takes the concept of coming back to God to the point of familial. Coming back to the point of children. It doesn't exist. Christianity's it. This idea that what God wants with us is an intimacy. It's not about just getting to go to heaven so that you can have more good life, you know, instead of the hell place, it's the bad place. That's not what it's about for God at all. What is it about? Children is an interesting thing. I love my children, but I die for my children. Is there anybody that wouldn't die for their children? You know, I mean, is there anybody that doesn't want just everything good for their children? I mean, I thought when my children moved out of the house, that would be the end of the sort of really hard stuff. Dang, man, now they're not in my house, and I'm grieving for them even more when bad stuff happens. You know what I mean? They don't get a job. I'm dying. I'm the one that lost the job, right? And I'm just dying for them. It hurts. It's horrible. Come back home. 
kids, come, come on. <laughs> They're not going to. But there's something about a child and a parent relationship which is always greater and lesser. You know where God goes to? He goes beyond that. You know what he calls us? My brothers and my sisters. Mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. He calls us his siblings. Dave is one of five boys. My brother, one of five boys. Seven years apart in total. Just do the math. All you women in there, do the math. That means my mom was pregnant for like eight years straight. Okay, you know, poor woman. And then she had to raise five boys that were completely testosterone addled. Okay, I mean, just filled with awesome testosterone, right? You know what I mean? All of it, okay? So, I mean, this was a competitive environment. And it still is. Dave was on staff for a while. And, you know, the staff used to want to hide the small children and animals. Because it was just, you know, you know, it's the nature of all in nature, right? You know, I mean, some of the people on staff are laughing and putting their eyes down like, oh, God, yeah, it was really horrible. Okay? <laughs> now, they knew that we loved each other. That wasn't an issue. In a fallen nature, in a fallen world, there is conflict and tension and all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing about Dave. I love my wife, and I've already said how much I love my wife, and I'm not saying I love my brother more than my wife, because then that would be a really bad Easter for me. (laughs) But can I tell you what's different about my relationship with Dave than it is with my wife? No. Somebody said no. (laughs) That's awesome. Somebody, did you hear that? I said, can I tell you? They said no. (laughs) Here's what's different. I've never known life without Dave. He's older than me. I've never known life without Dave. I can't imagine life without Dave. There was a pretty good scare we went through a few years ago that it looked like I may have to endure that pain. Boy, my mirror neurons and my mirror life was going off like crazy. I can't even imagine what life would be like without Dave just knit. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if one of us goes, the other one is going to have this rip. Right? We are solaced by heaven. But still, having to experience life without you, may I make it clear? Sorry. How many times did I pray that if he was going to go, that it'd be me, not him? He's a better man than I am. He would do a better job in the world. (sighs) Right? And then he'd have to have the pain of me being gone. (laughs) I don't know if he'd consider that painful, would you, Dave? (laughs) Tell everybody that you would, even if you wouldn't, okay? Oh, joy, he's celebrating. Wait a minute, something's wrong with that story. (laughs) Jesus Christ has knit himself into the very fabric of our being. And we cannot imagine life without him. To pull him out, 
life would totally not be worth living. That's the nature of him bringing us to himself. I don't know, that sounds like maybe I'll get an Easter egg for that one, do you think? You know what, though? Actually, my concept wasn't so profound. His was. So, so let me say it this way. Ooh, these are jelly beans. I might not do what I was going to do. I was going to leave these for somebody that would come to him today, but I might eat one of them. There are people that are in here that don't really know God that way. They've had moments of knowing him that way, but the way that they process the penultimate things as being ultimate things has caused their relationship with God to get totally twisted and turned in a way that isn't, doesn't have life, real life in it. God is trying to communicate to you right now, I call you my brother. I call you my sister. I don't want to live life without you. That's what God's saying. I don't want to live life without you. That's the ripping away that we saw. See it? I don't want to live life without you. Now, if you don't know him, then I'm leaving these sweet things up here after all. I've overcome my initial temptation. And I'm going to leave these up here because there is something incredibly sweet that you don't know. I get it. But that is magnificent. And so let's move on to the graciousness of God is so immense. He who experienced the love of the three in one, creating everything just to be with him, does an amazing thing. It's not just about us with him. Jesus' last prayer goes like this. Father, make them one as you and I are one. No, no, Jesus, you got that wrong. You should have said, Father, make them one with you and I. That's what's important, right? The relationship with God. That's what's important. That is, and truly it is, the ultimate importance. But when you read Jesus' last prayer, the one that he meant to be ringing in our ears for all eternity, you do have to read it and understand he does say make them one with us, but over and over, much more the emphasis in that particular prayer is, Father, make them one with one another. Do you understand? Think about the heart of a God that would do this. It's not about him. God has no ego need to make it about himself. His heart is that we would experience what he's experiencing in the three-in-one, and he's blowing that out. He's doing this creation thing, the Big Bang kind of thing, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to bring this. Sorry, Roger. He's trying to bring this to a place to where what we're doing is, is that we are experiencing this relationship one with another. That we're ex You see the graciousness of God? He cares as much that we be one with one another as he does that we be one with him. Now, it turns out the only way we can ever truly be one with one another is if we be one with him. And the reason why is because of that in-breathe thing. What happens is, is when he breathes into us, he makes us new. Like I said, you get things you didn't get before. And when you do that, you start seeing things differently. Our family, before Christ, was headed to a very difficult place. We would have been the typical family that loved each other but was estranged. 
in various ways. We would have gotten together and we would have still loved each other, but there would have been issues. And then God changed all of us. And he blew up everything that was trying to divide us. And he put us together in a way that we are fashioned and knit. The way I just described. Now understand, that's as important to God as you being one with him. He wants us to experience this oneness with one another. Because it's just the most greatest, awesome, wonderful thing. Is anything better than love? Is there? Seriously. How much money before you'd say, if I, could ne if I never had love before, how much money? Here's the answer. We would all actually have a number. <laughs> That's how sad we are. And then we would experience life without love, and we would say there's no amount of money that is even remotely worth this. Right? There's this principle in the world called in the in physical world, in the universe, called entropy. Here's what entropy is. Big bang kind of thing, if whatever you want to, but big bang. Energy, energies came together and created higher energy. And there's this state of higher energy. Our sun is a place of incredibly high energy, which is doing what? These energies are coming together, they're joining together fusion, and it's blasting out this life-giving energy that we live in right now. I feel like I'm a little loud. I moved my headset, it was all my fault. I'm, you, were, you were working with me and then I blew you out, sorry. But I'm getting an echo. But what he did was is that he, he brought us to this place where, where he, I'm sorry, I've lost my place, but I'll come back to it. He brings us to this place of higher energy. He's bringing us together, he's bringing us together into this place to where there's this life and all these things. I'm sorry, it was the sun where I was. So what he's doing is he's bringing the sun together and he's spreading out this energy and he's throwing it out there and we are living off the energy of that. But you do know what's gonna happen ultimately with the sun, don't you? Entropy is happening to it right now. Despite the fact that it's fusing together and throwing off all this great energy, it's burning itself out. And ultimately, it, all the universe wants to go to a lower energy state. And ultimately, the sun will burn out and go to a lower energy state. That's entropy. I'm going to tell you a story about entropy right now, and I'm using this story very, very carefully. And those of you who know the details of this story will know how carefully I'm being careful I'm being, but the bottom line is I've prayed about this a lot, and I believe that the Lord wanted me to talk about this, so I'm going to. And if you have a big issue with it, you can talk to me later. But there was a girl that was in this church, and she quit going to this church about a year and a half ago, and at that time, she severed all relationships with the church, and it had, frankly, to do with substance abuse, alcohol, and she just got to a place to where the alcohol was so, had overtaken its life. Great irony, by the way, the, the alcohol which I don't have a problem if you have beer and wine and all that kind of stuff, but alcohol is this really social drug, right? I mean, you know, you sit around and you have a beer and you get more friendly with people and the guard goes down and you talk and laugh and connect better, right? I mean, that's, it's a social drug. But the irony of it is, is you abuse it and it takes you into complete isolation. And this is what happened with this person, where not only did she cut the relationships with everybody, she actually became somewhat nasty, to people that were trying to help her because it was ruining her life. A part of the story that I don't think but two or three, maybe four or five people in this room don't know is this. This person's life 
three, three, maybe four years before she cut off all ties, her life fell apart. She had a wonderful family, and it disintegrated, as do so many families anymore. And if you've had that happen, you know how painful it can be. And in this particular person's case, there was some history that made it even worse for her. And so it was amazingly painful for her. And as it was happening, there was a couple of times where she sort of superficially made attempts on her life, but never really got anywhere with it. And then one day, she drove to a motel a long ways away and took a bottle of pills and ate the whole bottle and then called me. <laughs> and she said, I just want you to tell my kids how much I love them, that I know what I'm doing is selfish and stupid, that I'm just in so much pain I can't take it anymore, and I love you, and I love the people that are trying to help me, but I just can't take it anymore. And she wanted to just have a short conversation with me and have me hang up the phone, but obviously I wasn't going to let her hang up the phone. And there were several times during a lengthy conversation, probably took two hours, where I begged and pleaded with her not to hang up, and then she wouldn't, and she was getting drowsier and drowsier during the conversation. And this is before the laws were changed to facilitate this. And what happened was is that as soon as Julie came back, I was on the phone, Julie walked in the room, and I said, get on your cell phone, call the police. Tell them to go to, to contact the cellular company and triangulate and figure out where she is so that they can go save her life. And we called them, and the telephone company said, we can't do that. It's against the law. This before the laws came in. And they said, we can't do that. And literally, I'm on the phone, patched through the police department, because I just begged, and I was saying, you don't understand. I hear her passing out right now. She's nodding off. I'm yelling at her to get her to wake back up again. You have, this is a life. And we got some gal, just by God's grace and miracle, we got some gal. She knew. She was like, I'll lose my job for this. And I said, so what? <laughs> right? This person is dying right now. You know, just do it. <laughs> and they did. And I'm sitting there listening on the phone. She's now passed out for about 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I hear in my phone, I hear a knock on the door through the phone. And somebody's saying, is anybody in there? And I could hear, because I was on the phone with them in the other phone, and I could hear that that was them saying, I said, that's the room. So they busted through the door and revived her and saved her life. That's phenomenal, right? It is. Now she comes back to church and she starts, entropy was trying to get her to a lower state and God had a higher state for her. And he wanted her to come into this and I want to show you something that she did because she was still struggling a lot and the substance abuse was ongoing and getting worse and it was causing her to disconnect and, but, there, but people weren't disconnecting from her. She, they were still pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and we got to a pretty critical moment where she was kind of checking out of everything and she hadn't got to where she ultimately got but she was doing poorly and then there was this person in this church, I'm not going to name their name, but there's a person in the church that was pursuing them as were several other people. This is a wonderful body and what happened is I'm going to show you this email that this person sent back. I took her advice and watched the video. Now the video is about soap, so just really quickly I have to describe this. Soap is a simpler way of reading a scripture and it goes like this. 
S is for scripture. That means you read a passage and you look for, is there something in that passage that really struck you, right? And if there is, what was it? Write it down. Write down the scripture. And then O is observation. Why does it strike you? What do you see as you think and contemplate about it? What comes to your mind? This is a good way to get the word to, to do it. Go, go to our website. Watch the video. It's still there. And then you go to application, and application is, is, okay, so what does that mean for my life? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react and, and move on this? And then P is prayer. How do I pray about this? Okay, what am I to pray? And so she says, I took your advice and watched the video. First, I had to repent to God for not doing it sooner. How many people can say that? You know what you're supposed to do, and you just don't do it, and oh, well. And not being in his word the way I should be, the way I need to be, I just wanted to call you and tell you about it, but I knew I'd just be a blubbering fool as I am, so I wanted to write it to you. She'd actually had it, you'll see in a sec. But, so here it is. It was Matthew 9, the friend's faith. This is a story about Jesus. Is, it's been discovered that Jesus can heal people, so of course there's so many people coming to him that these guys have a paralyzed friend, and they're trying to get the paralyzed friend to Jesus, and they can't get him in. And so what they do is, is they go up on the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower him down so that Jesus can see it. And what happens is, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, that doesn't say healing, but what happens is he's actually demonstrating to the religious leaders of that. He said, you can't forgive people's sins. And he says, oh, really? Tell me, what's harder, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your pallet and walk home? To show you that I have the power to forgive the sins, take up your pallet and walk home. The crippled man has been carried there by his friends, takes up his pallets and walks home, and we can assume his sins were forgiven. So she says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, your sins are forgiven. Observation, this is hers. The faith of the paralyzed man's friends are what healed him. Application. Having friends that have faith in me is so incredibly important, not just for the intercessional prayer, which is extremely important, but to know that they think I can succeed. Give me the encouragement I need to keep on trying, to never give up. Do you hear this person fighting? Do you hear the higher energy? Do you hear this person going after something and getting a hold of something? Because it gets even better. Lord, thank you for the friends and the family that I have that never gave up on me, that have faith in me. Help me to return the faith and love to them and to, and to others around me. And then here's how she ends her email. It was exactly what I was trying to tell you this morning on the phone. God's word is so alive. If we just put in the time and the effort, I cannot tell you how many times God spoke to me while I was at the cross and really getting in the word. It makes all the difference in the world. Do you hear the life coming into her? Do you hear this thing, God energizing her, God raising her above what is trying to take her down? You are this person to me, she says. Your faith in me means more than you will ever know. Thank you for believing in me and for your love and your prayers. I love you. May God bless you and make his face shine upon you. You see, she's becoming so filled with life that she wants to pour it back out, which is what happens. Like the sun, that's one of those things in creation. That's how God is. He's so filled with life that he's just pouring it out. And the more he pours out, the more that comes in, the more he has to pour out. Now that's life. That's the life that God has. 
It takes you places that you didn't know. It takes you to places, higher energy. It takes you to places that are incredible, that you didn't know that exist. It is phenomenal. But it doesn't mean that entropy is always not still nipping at our heels and trying to pull us down. And the incredible, difficult, ridiculous ending to this story, one of the reasons I didn't even want to use it, is that just a few days ago, entropy won. It's not clear whether she took her own life or whether she was just so alone and so inebriated that she threw up and asphyxiated. And It's not clear what had happened. And can I just say, I don't care if I ever know. I don't want to know. Because it doesn't matter. It's the same thing, isn't it? She was so alone that she didn't have anybody to fight with her anymore. Fight for her. Help her raise up. She lost her relationship with friends. She lost her relationship with God. That doesn't mean she's not in heaven, by the way. But entropy won. Damn you, entropy. What does God have for us? What does he have for us? Life. More coming in, coming together. Boy, when we come home, when we get with somebody, when we've been separated, when we get with somebody, it's life, right? You come back together. It is life. What does God have for us? What does he want for us on this Easter morning? Is it to learn about rules and regulations and sin and all that kind of stuff? No, that's penultimate stuff. It's important to know. But the ultimate stuff is God wants you to come home home and it doesn't matter if you've never known him and it doesn't matter if you know him we are all distanced from him in some fashion to some degree in some way we have made the penultimates the ultimates and gotten twisted up in our relationship with him in a way that we are not being filled with life from him in the way that he wants to fill us so that we can become overflowing and that we can then touch and then they come alive and that makes us alive. And he's, this whole dynamic that God has of bringing life, this is the thing that God wants to do this Easter. He wants us to come home. So with the sound up, I want you to just take a look at this.
feel good. I feel real good. Mama could have pictures of houses for you. From better homes and garden magazines. Plans were drawn and concrete poured, nail by nail, board by board. Daddy gave life to Mama's dream. something that are the things in life that come in and take us somewhere else and it isn't home and then we have that moment where we get to have home again and it just I want you to do something. You've got to know the people around your table right now. I want you to turn to your tables. And I want the person that's in your table that, that would be willing to lead out in a prayer for everybody at that table that we would all come home this Easter. That we would come home. If you know him, you know what that means. Just laying aside those other things and coming home. If you don't know him, oh my God. Is there, I, I, I've told you, if you will receive, you will receive so much. So I'm asking you, you can do this privately, you can do it out loud if you want. I don't care how you do it, but in that table, if you're somebody that doesn't know him, please make this a moment where you say, I want to come home. Bring me home, Lord. I know I don't get it in my ways but I want to come to know this better, bigger, richer. So turn, if you would, to your tables and pray with one another, would you please? <laughs> 